Turn to Acts 20. And we're going to be doing something a little bit differently today, so I'm hoping you have a Bible, because you're going to need it. All right? So if you don't have a Bible and you would like one handed to you, raise your hand and we will have someone bring it to you. So keep your hand up. I've got a couple people there and uh, they're going to run out to the store and get a couple Bibles. And uh, we have a store real quick, uh, real, real close. So this morning, our sermon title is The Spirit is Willing, but the Flesh is Weak. How many of you feel that way this morning? Oh, don't hesitate. Don't hold back. Yes, it is a constant struggle, isn't it? It's a constant struggle. And so this is a great passage many people remind their pastors of, and you'll see why in a little bit. So uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. At first blush, uh, this passage is famous for falling asleep in church. All right. It, 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 is, it is infamous for falling asleep in church. But upon further and, and more accurate exegesis, we find that the passage is going to hold a trove of provenance concerning what? Ecclesial practice and praxis. Wow, that's a lot of words. What's that mean? We're going to kind of go back to where everything began, and we're going to see why we do what we do. That's it. Which is fascinating for the church at Troas. Now, Paul is on his third missionary journey. He's wrapping things up. He's gone. He's had his team go ahead of him, and they're in Troas waiting for him. He shows up, and he feels an urgency uh, to get over uh, to Corinth and to finish out over there as well. And all the while, we mentioned last week that some of these letters that you have in your Bible, in your New Testament, have been written along the way. Don't lose track of that. We're studying the narrative, we're studying the story, but understand that uh, uh, Romans was written here, 1st, 2nd Corinthians written, uh, and, and on and on it goes. But this morning, we're going to look at a small church that met in an upper room, the other upper room listed in Scripture. So let's pray and ask God to guide our time because you are going to be participating today. This is very different. I'm not preaching. All right? I normally preach. I'm sitting down on this stool. I have had invisible seatbelts strap me in. So I cannot get up and I cannot wander. And uh, when I wander, I wander verbosely as well. And that tends to be part of the challenge of my preaching. So today we are teaching. And we'll speak to some of the uniqueness of that and how that works back then and how that works now so let's pray father this morning as we look back to a group of believers that were gathered in asia minor what would be modern day turkey now a small group of believers that were small yet mighty small but powerful those that paul invested in unlike any other group with the heart of a pastor Open our eyes this morning. Equip us. Challenge us in this area that the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Help us to understand the reasons as to why we practice the things that we do in church community. Why all of those 
aspects are important. But Father, more so, help us to take what we hear, what we study this morning, and then let your Spirit take the information, Father, and motivate us towards godly living and living as Christ. Thank you, Father. Encourage and equip our time. Amen. I don't know if any of you noticed, but it's a little bit brighter behind me. Do you notice that? Yes, we can clap for that, Margie. I believe when we left, when you left last week, three of our lights were lit, and now we have how many? Six lights. Six lights lit. And so I just want to give a fantastic shout out to the whole community listen to how i'm saying this the whole community that participated this past week in our bbs and so these lights represent those that have asked christ into their life the light of christ uh, and and the celebration and recognition of god's work through our people um, in in those coming into that that life with Christ. So we're, we're praising the Lord in all of this. Well, let's tr uh, travel back to a pivot point uh, in the Passion Week, shall we? And let's take note of some similar circumstances. And I'm going to uh, grab my Bible. I, I keep leaving my Bible everywhere. I left it in the fireside room. And I'm going to turn to Mark. You don't need to. I'm going to turn to Mark, and we're going to read this again yeah, my invisible straps just let go. Did you guys catch that? <laughs> They're on command. Uh, Mark 14 is where I'm going to be. And verses 37 through 38. We're going to quote this together in a little bit in between our, our worship through music. But you're very familiar with this passage. It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's His suffering time. What's fascinating is that he brought us with him. One of the most intimate moments between the Son and the Father, one of the weakest and most vulnerable moments of Jesus Christ in his ministry and his walk on earth. And what does he do? He brings us with him. He says, come participate with me in my hour of need and let's see how we did. So Christ has spent some time already beseeching the Father. He goes away to pray, and then He comes back. He has already stated to Peter, James, and John that His soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And then He asks them to stay and watch. Now the hour is late. The hour is late. And it says, and going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Meaning that he might not have to endure the suffering of the pain on the cross. And that is a, there's a magnitude of that statement that we'll never understand, but we also, that's not why we're here. So we're going to move on, just value what's said there. In 36, it says, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is an incredible situation, and the reason it is recorded is because P 
Peter was there. He was watching. The book of Mark, unless, uh, in, in case you're not aware as of yet, is Peter's discourse on the Gospel as recorded by Mark. So Peter heard Jesus' words. And yet there was more going on there. Verse 37 is really where we want to pick this up. And he came and found them, what? Sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? One hour. Isn't that the... Like, we push it around here. We usually go an hour 20, hour 30, right? And, and most of you are still breathing um, and, and cognizant during that hour, hour and a half. But Jesus narrowed it down to just an hour. Now, it was really late. And there had been a lot of emotional energy spent. They'd had a meal. They're in the cool of the night. They're in a garden. It's quiet. Jesus says, could you not stay awake one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. So what do we hope to accomplish this morning? Well, we want to look at this idea of spiritual devotion versus human condition, right? The grand experiment. Spiritual devotion versus human condition. Think about yourself. You are here because the spirit was what? willing this morning if your spirit was not willing you're probably not here unless your parents coerced you with donut bribery <laughs> all right so you know there are some that may be here because they had to be here but most of you are here because the spirit is willing there are others that the second half of this statement ruled the day today and they are not here and we record the messages so we can keep track of who's here and not here. And then I'm sending out a letter during the week. We have noticed, and we will be posting on YouTube, that you... No, we don't do any of that. But for whatever reason, the human condition won out. And there's other things. I mean, legitimately, right? We can be ill. The human condition won out. Um, we need rest. We need to get away. The human condition... And the beauty is, is that when Christ talks to Peter, James, and John, He doesn't say, leave me. He doesn't say, I'm done with you. He says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. There's something at stake here with the human condition. What do we hope to accomplish this morning? Well, to get us to look at what happened with this small church in Troas and Paul, to really see what Scripture does and, and explaining some things to help us know why we do what we do, but also to do it together. Today, we are going to play Concord Bible Church Jeopardy. Alright? And no, we do not have potent potables as a category. Alright? So, what we're doing is turn, you hopefully are already in Acts 20, and we're going to look at the passage. I'm going to just read it real quickly. We're verses 7 through 12. So, small, small passage. Okay? And then we're going to just let you pick categories. Now, what you're going to have to do is open up your bulletin, and you have sermon notes. 
The only way you're going to know what the categories are is if you pull out those sermon notes and you just pick a category. And so you get to raise your hand and say, I, you know, Alex, I'll take dead is dead for 300. There is no money involved today. I just want you to know. All right. Wouldn't that be interesting if, <laughs> if we tied that way? We do this, and, and if you don't get it, you have to tithe what you bet. That would be interesting. Nobody's buzzing in. So let me read this passage, starting in verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, or Eutychus, however you want to say it, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Why are you laughing? This is not funny. The poor kid fell to his death. What's so funny about all this? <laughs> I'm sorry. Whoever just said, oh, I, 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 that was, again, me exercising my gift of sarcasm. You'll know why, why they're chuckling in their hearts and out loud. So it says, Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while, until daybreak, and so departed and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. You ever talk in double negatives? There it is. It's a biblical thing. They were not a little comforted. Right? It's like you parents, you are not a little free to choose what you will eat to your, to your children. Um, Janine and I are saying that all the time to each other with these wonderful diets that we're on. So let's start out the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You have your categories. Let's go. Look on your sheet. You get to choose any category you want. It's not going to cost you any money. Let's go. Raise your hand. Buzz in. On which, look at you guys. You don't have to answer the question. You're just, you're just putting it up there. Yes. Sleeping in church from the back row. That's phenomenal. <laughs> All right, let's put it up there. Sleeping in church, Acts 29. And a young man named Eutychus, or Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Poor Eutychus. This poor guy, sleeping in church. Well... What do you know about this individual? Other than he has a hard-to-pronounce name, and he lives in Troas. His flesh was willing? So, his, yes, so his flesh was willing to a point. Yes, good. But then it became weak. Yes. His spirit was willing, but his, you're right, his flesh was willing too. Now, he may have been one of those that was coerced. You'll find out about this in a moment. It's kind of like maybe sitting in the back row. 
You, you like the opportunity to exit quickly or you think I can't see you? Come on, folks, the building's not that big, right? I can see you in the back row, right? So I think Eutychus kind of excused himself as far back as he could, like the windowsill, and he's just kind of sitting there, and then he's just kind of sleeping there, and he's not just kind of fading off. says he went into a what? A deep sleep. Boy, Paul brought him into a deep sleep. I can only hope to be that good. Yes, Ruth. Oh, very good. Very good. So let, let's look real quickly. So sleeping in church, you hit one of my points. It's after midnight, right? You guys see that? It's after midnight. Paul didn't even start preaching till midnight. Paul is the favorite apostle of our Egyptian community. Right? Paul didn't even start till midnight. And so here's Eutychus, and he's in a window. What have they already done for several hours? Sleep coma. I don't know if they had turkeys in Troas, but if this kid's got some tryptophan, it didn't help. Right? And so they've had a big meal, and it says that it's night. They're using candles to light the room. It, the rooms back then weren't that large, folks. They just weren't that large. So we know that Paul's team was in the room. We know that Paul was, we know that Eutychus was in the room, and they're using candlelight. It's warm. It's late. They're up high. What's that got to do with anything? I don't get it. Heat. That's exactly right. Have you slept at my house at night? <laughs> yes, the heat rises. So it's warm. Oh, you, gosh, those invisible straps. I so badly want to get up. If we don't run the air conditioning, because this is one of the great anomalies of church in modern church. It's too cold. It's too hot. Let me just tell you, I've set, the, I've set where we have it. And the reason is, is to keep you awake. All right? You know, Lyndon's very point. What else do you see here? Yeah. Yes, George. He was young, but his circadian rhythm will change. <laughs> George, let me just warn you about using words nobody knows. <laughs> so, please, as, as that beloved theologian Ricky Ricardo once said, Explain yourself. <laughs> yes. How young are we talking? Seven to 14 years. And we'll get to that in a minute. So he may have been coerced, right? He, they may have brought donuts, right? Or maybe his parents or that. We don't know who else is in the room. We just know about this kid. By the way, I mean... How does this relate to us? And, and let me go ahead and, and, and take that to the next thing. By the way, the, the, so the fact is, is that the children are part of the group. Children are in the meeting. Children were part of the meal. Children were in for Paul's prolonged, in-depth teaching. Children were allowed to wander and sit in window, open window sills. 
on a third floor? Where was the children's department? Why was CPS not called on the church at Troas? Right? And so, they didn't use helmets. They didn't use car seats in Troas. They let their kids hang out in windows. And what happened? You're right, George. It went beyond. His flesh was weak. And so there are those of us that have sat next to children who are in service, and I have to just tell you, let me clarify, we love children being in here. Your children can, can be in here with you, worshiping as family. Your children can be over in our children's program. We brought children in for communion um, so they could see what that was all about about three weeks ago. But there is a beauty about the family being together and not segregating it out. There's also a beauty and a strength towards having classes for kids that it, it fits into their age group and their understanding. One of the biggest challenges this week for VBS was doing our presentation of the gospel to an age group from kindergarten to fifth grade. And, and when the, the curriculum spoke about what sin is, how do you explain to a kindergartner as well as a fifth grader in the same room that dynamic? So we want to be as effective as we can, but please understand that, that and, and here's what we need to think about this morning as we look at this example of this church and compare it to us. By the way, that's one of the things, the values of today, of, of going through this and talking through this like, like we are, is a comparative analysis between Troas and CBC. Is this precedent setting? Just because Eutychus was in with these adults, does that mean that that's how all church should be run? Just because they had what's called the agape meal, does that mean that's how all churches should run? Just because Paul spoke and taught through the entire night and into the early morning, does that mean that that's how all church should be run? No. Oh, sure, that's the one you say no on. <laughs> Let's move on. So let me, let me just say, when it comes to the idea that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, it's pretty obvious with, with Eutychus, right? But some fascinating things that we're looking at here. This young man was with the family. By the way, uh, I'm going to get into this a little bit more in depth. We're going to get into this a little bit more in depth in just a moment. But they had already worked. This was a work day. This is why they're meeting so late. They gathered for a meal and then they kept meeting and Paul's leaving so they wanted to redeem the time. That's why the Spirit was so willing but this poor child, the flesh was weak. And there is a bit of an intimation that if he's between 7 and 14, chances are his parents were part of this community. This is your pastor speaking, not the scripture. And they probably were so focused on what Paul was sharing that what? They lost track that their son was sitting in the window, falling asleep. So, there you go. There's part of the challenge for us is we look at the example, we see that there's children that are in church, we see that, that there's only so much the flesh can deal with, right? Poor Eutychus, you know, he lasted past midnight. Uh, Peter had the same problem, and, and, and he's one of the disciples. Do you hear me giving you permission to sleep in church now? <laughs> Hopefully not. Lyndon?
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or children. And this past week with our VBS, we had kids that were dropped off, right? And that can be a very scary thing for your children. Um, and, and yet, it was an overwhelming sense of joy. And I know that our helpers, our volunteers, our youth who volunteered in the program were very cognizant of making sure that every child felt loved, every child was involved and accepted because nobody wants to feel that nobody wants to experience that we are not going to get to all of these subjects so choose wisely we're on our next one who said that raise your hand yes victoria dead is dead well let's go to dead is dead it's a bit macabre dead is dead so Let's go ahead and go there up on the slides, and I'll take you to the passage. It's interesting. There's a couple key words here. By the way, what we're trying to show you is how to exegete a passage. What does that mean? It means to pull out from the passage what is there. Eisegesis means you put something in that's not there. And so how many of you have gotten emails and gotten into conflict with people or left instructions and you're saying, I never said that. That wasn't there. It's written down. It's plain to see. What's the problem? How come you can't understand this? And, and often what happens in those situations is we insert something that the writer never intended. This is what we call a hermeneutic. It's the understanding of what was intended for us to see and learn about who God is and how God worked, worked out his plan and his economy through his people. And so that's why it's so valuable to pull out only what is there. So that's what this exercise is this morning. Is we're looking at something that, hey, some guy preached real long, some guy fell out the window, a guy was healed, and they preached until daybreak, and then the guy sailed on the love boat over for Corinth. No, there's so much more here and so much that sets precedent and so much connective tissue for why we're doing what we're doing 2,000 years later. So, dead is dead. I'm still on sleeping in church. We had the best laid plans. We, I just want you to know we, we, uh, we tested all this beforehand and, uh, and we're getting there. So let me take you to it in your scripture. The idea is when there's a, 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 an explanation about Eutychus, it says, well, pick it up down in... Verse 9, and a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Who is writing this explanation? Luke. Does anybody know other than functional missionary, functional scribe, what his profession was? He was a doctor. Is Luke in the room? Yes. Because later on it says we. He's referring to himself being there. Up in verse 8 it says, There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. See how you do the interpretation there? So, why is this important? So, you have a doctor who is saying he was sleeping, he had a slight concussion. The doctor said he was what? Dead. Why is this important? 
It was fact by a professional, a person who was there, gave eyewitness. This fits into what we call an apologetic. Because this was an incredible miracle. Right? Doesn't really fit with science, right? And yet you have an individual of science that is proclaiming Eutychus was partially dead, Monty Python dead. What kind of dead? Dead, dead. Dead is dead, dead. Right? If he's not completely dead, what does that do to Paul's antics of laying upon the body and then declaring the boy is alive? There's really nothing to it. You're just kind of squishing the boy. Get off the boy, he's not dead. And so the skeptic would want to argue what? Eutychus is not dead. So the reality is, what, we, what can we take from this? Is that you had a doctor in the room. You had someone who understood physical medicine. Someone who declared Eutychus is dead. That is important. Why? For verification that a miracle actually happens. Alright? So, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My spirit wants to believe in the supernatural. My spirit wants to believe that God can heal. Amen? But my flesh argues with the times where I see where people have prayed for miraculous things to happen, healings to happen, and they don't happen. And so therefore, my flesh wants to declare that miracles are not what? That this kid really wasn't what? Dead. Folks, experiences are, are vast, and you're going to find in Scripture where individuals were not healed. Paul died a gruesome death, and he wasn't brought back. Andrew died a gruesome death. James, the disciples, all save for John, died gruesome deaths. They were not brought back. There is a time. That's a different thing. But that does not mean that an actual miracle does not happen here. Okay? So that's why dead is dead is important. Did you really think that that was all that important when you first saw this passage? Right? So when you're arguing with a scientific mind about the apologetic of Scripture, maybe you can go to Acts 20 and say a doctor who was there in the room said, kid, be dead. And then what happened? All right, next category. What? Oh, the agape. How many of you watched my uh, parsings this past week? Good, good. So we're going to keep sending that out. Just so you know, every week on Thursday, I'm going to be putting out on our Facebook, and we're going to send out a link, and it's going to be on my YouTube channel, too. I, now, yeah, i got a YouTube channel now. It's, i got one subscriber. Thank you, Lyndon. And uh, uh, you never know what you might see on that channel. Uh, but I'm going to be doing a real short synopsis of where we're going in the week. So some of you know a little bit of, of what this is, because when I talked about it, this, uh, this meal, breaking bread, is referred to in two ways. Does anybody know what those ways are? Historically, traditionally. Breaking bread is, bread is for the communion. Absolutely, yes, Philip. So that's part of what we see here. What else? To eat together. Which, the, in the Greek, the Greek word for that is potluck. <laughs> you just have to say it very Greeky. <laughs> no. 
the, the, the breaking of bread together, we can go back to Acts 2.42, right? And we see that the body, early on, the community, valued being together and eating together. Does that make sense? This goes all the way back to Jewish tradition. Boy, boy do the Jews know how to involve food with their ceremonies, right? But there was something to that. That's where you shared the value and you put symbolism to what you were eating and you would spend time communally together. Wouldn't it be great if we did more of that as a society? When your kids become teenagers, I mean, this doesn't happen in my house, but when your kids become teenagers, good luck having a meal where you can sit down together. Right? Or even in our society today as couples, as husbands and wives, being able to sit down together is challenging to say the least but there's great value in it so let's look at it real quickly on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to what break bread paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech until midnight so this is titled traditionally the love what feast so if you went to my youtube thing or my little parsings i said love fest okay so, sorry, I, I let that like just roll out. It was a love fest. Um, it, I'm sure in some way it was, but it's supposed to be love feast or the agape feast. And so this was a tradition that was observed in the early church. It was observed until roughly, the last mention we have of it is about the mid-7th century. Um, oddly enough, uh, the church in India... Uh, they, they know because the connection to St. Thomas uh, is very prevalent, and, and it's rumored that St. Thomas went as far as India, and that's how the church got established there. That There are churches in India that, to this day, even practice this. It has had a resurgence within the Anglican church. Um, American house church format practices this sometimes. Um, we practice it as well. And I wasn't kidding with the word potluck. We practice it as well. Dale, you had a question. Oh, all right. Just a scratch. Okay. Um, what do you think the purpose was behind the love feast? Community. Fellowship. Absolutely. And it went so far as the passage that we see Christ speak about that Matthew recorded if you have anything between you and a brother, leave your what? Leave your sacrifice on the altar. Don't go through sacrifice. Don't go through the ceremony of intimacy and honesty between your God and yourself until you make right what is wrong between you and your brother. So part of the love feast was a love fest where they would integrate the opportunity to practice forgiveness with one another in the room. How many of you have ever been in a situation like that where at communion um, you're encouraged if there's something that you hold against a brother um, that's here, go and make that right. I've watched that work and I've watched it become a train wreck, <laughs> right? And people are arguing over in the corner. What do you mean I did that? I didn't do that to you. And then the whole thing falls apart. So just so you know, we're not going to practice that here. <laughs> but the purpose of it was community. The early church saw this as important. Paul saw it as important. So much so that the preaching waited until what time? 
midnight. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? How many of you are up for a, a, a congregational meeting? Oh, see, here's where I'm going to go. A congregational meeting where we're talking about very important stuff for the future of the church and things that are happening. And we have a love feast. We have an agape feast that lasts two hours. And everybody's copacetic with it. Nobody's coming up to me and saying, hey, we need to get this thing started. I, I, I've got places to go. And then we have a four-hour meeting. You're like, wait, didn't we just do that? Wasn't that last week or two weeks ago? And it's fun when you watch our meetings because slowly they go from, you know, record numbers down to like half, down to a third. And, and people are just like, I'm not interested anymore. I'm, I've got food coma. It's hot in here. I'm, I'm, I'm gonzo. The spirit is willing because you showed up, but then the flesh was weak. Don't be starting your preaching at midnight, pastor. Right? So there's two meals here. One is the communion like Philip talked about, and we'll see that. As a matter of fact, let's just go there. Let's just go there. So go down to... Eleven. So he's already healed Eutychus. Verse 11 says, And when Paul had gone up, they go back up to the room, and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. So let me give you a practice in exegesis. So some commentators want to say that here's the evidence that they had the love feast or the gopi feast, gopi meal, early, and then after the healing, they participated in communion. The language allows for the time period to be all connected. In other words, after he healed the child, he'd gone up and he'd already broken bread, right? That he, and eaten, he then conversed with them for a long while. The language also allows for there to have been a moment after the healing where maybe they did participate in communion. What you need to glean from this is that these two meals were separate. And if you know the story out of 1 Corinthians where Paul goes to them and he says, hey, you guys are acting like gluttons. Does that ever bother you that they have this huge meal that's going on? You're like, wait a minute, that's not what we do. We have a little cracker and we have a little cup. I'm, I'm still thirsty after I drink from this, right? It's so small. How could this be a real meal? Because what Paul's addressing with that Corinthian church is the agape meal. They had gathered together and they were being so gluttonous with it that those who didn't have much weren't given much to eat. There was not much left over. So you're actually talking about a meal that satisfies your hunger versus the breaking of bread as an effort and symbolism and the partaking of the Eucharist the, the communion. And so there's two components going on here. What did you learn? Did anybody learn for the first time so far today that there's two meals when they talk about breaking bread? Nobody. Fantastic. I feel so validated as a teacher. I'm going to go back to preaching. Okay, next category. We have time for one more. Go ahead, Magda. Oh. I believe in it. Amen. We're done. Lanisa, you're up. So preaching long. 
On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. And we might have another verse there. Is there another verse? Maybe not. But continue to go on to the end of of our verses here. Verse 11, I think. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. Wow. Now that's preaching. Except it's not preaching. It's not preaching. There's some things I want you to see here. And uh, the idea is this. So we have two times of, of teaching. One is when he started at midnight. It says that he waited until they were done with all the other activities. Now I want you to grab something from here. How does this fit with what we do on any given Sunday? We do not have a meet and greet scheduled. I'm looking at the order of worship this morning. Oh, wait, we do. Now, see, when I just said that, I was being highly manipulative because I want to prove my point. Some of you hate meet and greet. You introverts in the room, you hate meet and greet. And these ideas of getting together and communally being together and communicating and talking with one another, incredibly draining. I get it. I absolutely get it. God has invested in you and He has the ability to give you strength beyond your measure. And when we are together as a community, I understand. Listen to me, introverts. Every psychological test that's out there I register off the chart for being an introvert. Bet you didn't think that. Oh, great profession to go into, Pastor Jeremy. (laughs) Let me just help you understand that. If I had it my way, I'd be a fishing guide. Amen, Alan? I'd be a fishing guide, and I'd be up on on the Snake River, or I'd, I'd be up on the American River, and I'd write my own schedule, And I would fish when I wanted to very quietly. And if I felt like I needed to get a can of beans in the cupboard, then I'd take somebody out and show them how to catch a fish. And and that would be that. That's what I prefer to do. But this, what you see, the engagement, that is 100% 1 Corinthians 12. Which compels me to love you. Does that make sense? You're like, wait, I didn't think it was that hard to love me. Um, What are you saying, (laughs) Pastor Jeremy? It compels me to get outside of my space, get up and engage, because I want you to see the love of Christ. Do you understand that in some ways you have so much more authority and ability in that way than I do? The warmth and love of Christ will be interpreted primarily on this church based off of you, not me. How do you treat one another? And the early church saw this as important. Our entire society is dying for community. We are medicating beyond... There are no adjectives to describe how much we are medicating. And one of the primary reasons that's happening is because we have a broken society where there is no true in-depth community. And so people are hopelessly lonely and suffering, and we call that depression. 
if we were loving and engaging with each other, I think some of that would be overcome. Please hear me. Uh, that is not a railing against all medication. Do you, you understand that, right? I'm just talking about the deficiency that we have. Now let's talk about, in, in, in wrapping up, let's talk real quickly about what we see from this small group of people. Not unlike us. By the way, preaching long. Am I doing a good job at it? <laughs> Preach, <laughs> preaching long... The interesting part about this is that he's teaching here. The word, the Greek word for where it says that he's speaking to them is the same word we get the word dialogue from. So rather than one of these discourses where Paul marches into a town and he preaches and people start throwing rocks at him, this is very different. He was compelled because he knew he was moving on probably didn't know whether he would ever return and it was so important by the way he's on this tour right he's touring through places that the church has been established on his first and second missionary journeys but it is so important to him that he equip these believers and he may not be back this is what compels him to keep going and keep going here's the fascinating thing the spirit was willing but the flesh was weak with eutychus the flesh was not weak with the others it says they stayed up until the break of day. After a day of work. They were hungry to get the instruction. And there was a dialogue. The dialogue was all about asking questions and, and Paul working through it and helping them understand and speaking to those, those issues. Do you know how we do that here? You see, and here we go. Okay. <laughs> this is how we do this here. We had a group meet, and you missed out if you were not part of this group at 9 o'clock. You really missed out. David brought some great informational teaching. He's teaching out of Revelation and, and talked about the church at Pergamum. I'm not sure I even knew how to say Pergamum until I heard David say it. But some great, valuable things. We're going to be expanding that Sunday morning uh, 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 instructional equipping time and it's going to become what's called adult Bible fellowships. And it's going to go for an hour and 15. From 9 o'clock to 10.15. And it's going to be a time not just of instruction, right? Because look at this church at Troas. They gathered together for what? They gathered together to spend time in community. So that they could have community and relate to one another. And a whole mass of equipping style instruction. How we do this here, we take that cue from this passage. It is so important that we equip you for Christian life and in-depth relationship and understanding with the Lord. Amen? Well, then don't just say amen. Show up, right? Ergo, the Spirit is willing. Now, that was really weak. All right, let's try it one more time. The Spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak, and so how do you overcome that? You overcome that, just like I told you. There's nothing inside of me naturally that wants to be standing in front of you right now speaking. But I got out of my chair because I'm compelled to make a point of emphasis. We have to be about this and start setting aside the flesh. And one of the reasons, we circle right back around to what Jesus said to Peter. This is important, Peter. 
And you need to pray and stay awake and watch so that you will not, what? Fall into temptation. So we need to be equipping ourselves. We need to have others equipping us so that we can truly know who God is. And we can truly get into the Word of God and look and see from something that seems pretty simple. This morning we understand that the church switched from meeting on the Sabbath to the first day of the week. Why do we meet on Sunday? Do you now know how to address a Sabbatarian? I don't have time to go into that, but that was in part of what we talked about. What do you do when you're doing God's work and something horrendous happens and there's tragedy? Do you just go home? You see, one of those points was the show must go on. We, we, we have someone die and then they're brought back to life. I, I can see the modern church doing what? Oh, that was it. That was the fireworks show at the A's game. That was, that was the culmination. Yes, let's go home now. That's complete. And it says they went right back up into the room and they got back into the teaching because they were hungry. Here's one of the beauties is that this passage talked about Paul dialoguing. I think this is the first time that I've taught, not preached. I'm preaching now, by the way. But the first hour and a half the first hour and a half was teaching, engaging, hearing your questions, hearing your input, clarifying. It's important that you put yourself in a position because what we do in church, why do we do what we do? Why do we do teaching on Sunday? Why is Lanisa going to get up here and have us do praise together? Why is all of this happening? Because we saw how it worked for the early church. And the church thrived and grew unlike any other time in history. That's why we do what we do. And your pastor will not preach until midnight. I'm done. <laughs> I, I was hoping for good job. I don't know why you said amen, but you know, that's fine. That's fine. Let me just share with you in closing this point about Paul dialoguing. Do you see what I did? I took the text and I said, let's do this. You know you can't really do this in a church that's huge? Any, anybody worth their salt would not try to do this in a church that is huge. You can do certain formats, but you can't do this. Being in this room, we're a lot like Troas. Just nobody's sitting in the windowsills, okay? We're a lot like Troas. But the thing that I want to encourage you is as long as the Lord asks me to be the shepherd here, we're not going to do the disengaged show where people can just come, not experience community, listen to some preaching for a little bit, watch music happen, and then go home and struggle with their flesh all week long. What we want to do is what we saw here at Troas because it worked. Now understand, there's, there's a few things in here that are one-offs. Alright? You let me know if you want me to preach until the break of day and you want to show up at midnight after a feast. We'll, we'll talk about that. Maybe that's a New Year's thing. I don't, I don't know. Let me uh, pray over our message today and, and that what the takeaway today is, a comparative analysis between Concord Bible and Troas, and thinking about in our own lives, looking at what happened on that night, 
There are things that we do in church community that the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And where does the Lord want us to land so that we're in the most healthy place possible? Amen? Amen. Let me go ahead and pray, and then I'm going to have you get up and greet one another, and then we're going to continue in worship this morning. Father, take the words today and let them strike to our heart as we look and examine this very unique, small but powerful church, much like the Philadelphian church. And Lord, this is the last mention that I know of of Troas. And, and we don't know exactly how big this community was. We don't know necessarily who they were. But we know that they were important because Paul felt the need to go there. That Paul felt the need to preach through the evening. And that you demonstrated your faithfulness upon your leader, Paul, in his ability to raise Eutychus from the dead to encourage the saints all the more. And so, Father, as we think about those areas of our faith that we have to take greater steps, bigger leaps, let us do so according to what Scripture says and believe in those things because you are who you say you are. That it may inform us as the Spirit is willing that we begin to mitigate, Father, those areas of weakness in our flesh when it comes to church life. Thank you, Father. To you be all glory. Amen.